Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Jesus is doing a lot during this week leading up to the cross. A lot of teaching. A lot of teaching. As many times as I have read through these gospel accounts, it still is astounding how busy he was. And so many of the parables and the sermons that we hold dear were uh, done right here during these last few hours before the cross. Jesus wanted to talk quite a bit about the last day, the last day on earth. And so he has some thoughts on his mind, Matthew 24. Eventually he will talk about the last day. It's good for us to study Matthew 24 because it is so misused in religious places among religious people. There is no such thing as a two-stage or three-stage or how many ever stages of Jesus coming that is taught out in the world. So we will see this as we study together. We won't read every single word, but we've got to read quite a bit of Matthew 24. Look at Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus leaves the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. When you think about the temple, think about a huge place. I used to think of it as a, you know, a, a building, and then you just went in and out of this building. But actually the temple area by the time of Jesus' life, has become a temple compound covering about 20 acres. Lots of buildings, magnificent buildings. And if I remember um, right, I hadn't read up on this, I believe Herod uh, actually um, took upon himself to rebuild the temple area uh, during uh, his time. One of the Herods uh, did. So it had just gotten bigger and bigger since Solomon's day. And so now it's covering about 20 acres. So you read a lot about Jesus coming in and out, being able to teach on the temple compound. He used that area a lot because that's where a lot of religious people would hang out as well. They say that this uh, temple area could hold around 200,000 people. So magnificent buildings and just a huge area. In fact, the church, when it first is established in the book of Acts, uses part of the temple compound for their assemblies for a while. But it's so huge, then it wasn't really a problem to do that for a while. And so they come to Jesus, the disciples do, and they point out, say, you know, look at all these buildings, trying to get him to comment on this. And then he says, as you see here in Matthew 24, verse 2, he says, truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. These buildings are coming down. Okay, And so, uh, what does Jesus have reference to here? Jesus is the master teaser. You know, Our generation thinks because we have videos, we're, we invented teasers, but Jesus is the master teaser. He would always make statements that um, would often um, cause people to ask questions. And it would be good if we could ever learn 
to do that. He, he makes this statement probably knowing that the disciples would come and ask him that, ask him about this, and that's exactly uh, what they do. And so um, I'm just going to have a few notes up here on the screen to just kind of help us move along together. So they look at the temple here, and then Jesus makes this statement. He makes this statement, and then this will cause them to come and ask him about it. Now, by the time they ask him about what he had just said, uh, they have moved on to to Mount um, Olivet, or Olivet, however you say it. So they've moved up the mountain about 2,800 foot high, uh, but they've moved to a spot where you, now you can look down on the city. And so as Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, he's able to point down to the city. And they have questions. So let's notice their questions here. The disciples ask Jesus, verse 3, uh, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, Privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close on uh, the end of the world? Close of the age or the end of the world. So in the disciples' mind, they're thinking when Jesus said these buildings are coming down that he's talking about the end of the world. But actually there are two events. There are two events that are on Jesus' mind here. Okay. And we'll be able to see this in this chapter So, um, he's actually going to answer about these buildings, and then he's going to get to the final day on earth. Now, notice in your Bibles, if you've not already done it, Mark, Matthew 24, and verse 34 through 36. Okay, that's the key to understanding this chapter. Where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So that's a transition little verse there. Those three verses, Jesus is transitioning from talking about a local situation pertaining to Jerusalem and these temple buildings to talking about the end of the world. Okay, So the first part of the chapter here through about verse 34 and 35, Jesus is going to be talking about a local situation. And this is basically the time when Jerusalem is destroyed by the Roman armies in A.D. 70. Maybe you've heard of that before. That's a well-documented piece of history. And that occurred, and Jesus is talking about that event here in the first part of the chapter, and then he talks about the end of the world uh, from verses 36 and onward. Just knowing that right there can help you, um, if you're in a discussion with someone who begins to talk about the various um, teachings regarding, you know, some people think there's going to be a rapture, and some's going to be left on the earth for a while, and some's going to be taken away. Absolutely none of that is true. Okay. So this chapter, and when you see it divided as it should be, then you see a lot of these misunderstandings can just go away. Okay. So let's notice how that Jesus is talking about a local situation uh, in the first part of this chapter. Look at Matthew 24, verse uh, 16. Let those, as these things take place, let those in Judea, see a local situation, 
Flee to the mountains. Flee to the mountains. Now at the end of time, there'll be no need to flee to the mountains. Because the whole world's going to be destroyed. But here in the first part of Matthew 24, Jesus is not talking about the end of the world. He's talking about uh, a siege upon Jerusalem. And then verse 17, Let the one who is on the housetop not not go down to what is in the house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And also for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Alas for them. In other words, um, especially be careful um, if, if you're in that condition. Pray that your flight be not in winter or on a Sabbath. He's talking about a local situation. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, verse 19, uh, there was um, a practice among the Jews... They were basically not obeying the Sabbath. Okay, they were continuing to do their wine presses and other means of business back in Nehemiah's day. So he decided just to close the gates on the Sabbath and not open up the gates until after the Sabbath so that, um, so that people can learn to obey the Sabbath day again. Okay. So from that time forward, it just became a practice that that the, the gates of the city would be closed until after Sabbath day is over. So he prays, he said, pray that all this, uh, when it comes to a head, that it doesn't come to a head on, on the Sabbath day. But simply mention this to notice that this is a local situation. It's not a, this, is, this part of the chapter, is part of Jesus' sermon, is not talking about uh, the end of the world. I want us to notice some contrast as well. Okay? Some contrast. Notice, let your eyes go down with me to verse 36 of Matthew 24. Jesus uses the word, the three-letter word, but. But. Okay, and we know that means there's, there's a change here. Change here. I've been talking about this, but now I'm talking about this other thing. I've been talking about Jerusalem specifically and something that's coming uh, in this generation, but now I'm talking about your second question, which regarding the end of the world. So, uh, in my Bible, I circle that word. Very important. So, so that um, if someone asks about this, I can remember that. And then notice this. In, um, mm, let's, see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Notice how Jesus says in verse 36, concerning that day, that day. But then notice there's going to be several references to the days upon Jerusalem as, as not day, but days, plural. Notice that. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, those days, uh, then certain things uh, will be happening. Okay? And you'll find that throughout uh, this discussion here uh, in this chapter. Notice verse 22. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been Say those days. In other words, this siege upon Jerusalem won't be a one-day immediate event. The, the encroaching, the, the coming of the Roman armies, they'll begin to siege, take, take hold of things, and it'll take several days. And then finally, they will make a huge um, capture, and they'll enter into the temple, the very holy place of the temple, and then that's when they need uh, to get out. So the destruction of Jerusalem over several days, the final day will be one day. It will be immediate. It will be 
uh, quicker than the blink of an eye, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Okay. So several contrasts here. Notice that in verse 36, again, uh, Jesus says, Of that day, no one knows, not the angels, nor the Son, but the Father. So notice the contrast there. Of the final day, Jesus doesn't know when that's going to be. But of the destruction of Jerusalem, Jesus knows a lot about that. He's telling a lot of details about that day. Okay. So notice that contrast. And notice the time element here. Notice in um, uh, verse 34. Underline this generation. This generation will not pass away until all these thing, things take place. These things he has discussed from verses 4 onward through verse uh, 34. Uh, these, this generation will not pass. And so he's trying to get them to see, and they, I think they understood it, that, um, that this is a local situation. Right? And it's really a shame. It's really a crying shame that there, is, there's, there has developed an entire scheme that would, um, some of the books written on the, the rapture and the tribulation periods would, would be very thick, 400, 500 pages. And all useless, all useless, because there's never been anything like that taught uh, in Scripture. Okay. Now notice here the abomination of desolation. Okay. This, is, this is good to look at. Look at verse 15. Jesus has been pointing out um, uh, some signs, and we'll look at those in just a minute. But he goes ahead and mentions um, verse 15. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, then he says, let, the, let it be understood, that's when you need to start fleeing. Okay. That basically just refers to some Roman general coming right into the temple area where the most holy place is and the holy place. When you see that, then you know you need to be leaving if you haven't already left. Okay, this is from Daniel chapter 9. Take your Bibles and run back there for a second. Daniel chapter 9. This is um, an answer. Daniel had been praying for himself and the people, confessing sin. Getting down to Daniel 9, Gabriel brings an answer to Daniel's prayer. You see that in Daniel 9, verse 20. And then particularly we see from Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks, notice this, Daniel 9, 24 through uh, 27. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Now I want you to notice these phrases here in Daniel 9, 24. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Okay. This is all pertaining to the work of Jesus. This is when Jesus would come and he would not put an end to sinning, but put, um, put himself on the cross and bring in the system of forgiveness that has been uh, discussed throughout uh, the ages. And so... Um, 
that's verse 24. And then know therefore, verse 25, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, that would be Jesus, a prince, uh, there shall be seven weeks, and then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled time. And verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolation is decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and half, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolation. Now, I'm not at all an expert on prophecy and numbers, but evidently what um, God wants us to do is let these weeks, the days of these weeks, represent years. And so from the going forth of the decree for Nehemiah and others to go and rebuild the walls um, down to the time that Jesus comes ends up being a certain amount of years. And you can figure this out with these weeks. Okay. And so about 457 B.C. is when Nehemiah went back to rebuild. And so you can count from there and onward. And I think if you let the days represent uh, years, it'll bring you right down to uh, the time of Jesus. Okay. But this is what Jesus is referring to. He, he shows how this is fulfilled. Daniel 9 is fulfilled in Matthew 24 for the destruction of Jerusalem. When you see uh, so, someone from the Roman government or Roman army come in there to that most holy place, then you know that things are about to get a lot worse than they are. So flee, flee. So look, going back to Matthew 24, notice the verses 4 to 14. What Jesus is doing here is... He's speaking to his disciples. And he wants them to spread the word that this is coming. And he's showing them information where they can look for signs, telltale signs, and they can be ready for this because he doesn't want any physical harm to come to them. So notice some things that will be happening. If you look in your Bibles to Matthew 24, and if you look at Verses 4 to 14. He begins to tell them some things that will happen between then and AD 70. Now remember the time frame which we're talking about here. Jesus is living, usually we say Jesus died AD 33. So this is right at AD 33. Maybe a little bit even earlier than that. So for about 40 years, 40 years, 40 years here's the number 40 coming in here again. For, for the next 40 years, here's what's going to happen. Okay. And so he tells them some things that's going to happen. Some of it's not so good, some of it's good. So read with me in verse 4. Verse 4. Jesus answered them and said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So one thing that's going to happen in those next 40 years, there's going to be some false Christ, false messiahs come along. You ever thought about that? That after Jesus dies and is resurrected on the right hand of God, 
there's going to be people walking around the earth saying, well, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. That guy from Nazareth, he wasn't the real one. I am the one. He says, watch out for that. That's going to happen. All right? And then uh, notice verses 6 and 7 together. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you don't be alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And so during the next 40 years, there will be several military conflicts that will be obvious to the people living in this area, obvious to the Christians. And then also there will be um, earthquakes and famines. We read of one of these in Acts chapter 11. Remember the disciples get together and um, there's a great famine that is coming. It's, it's prophesied by the prophet, I believe his name was, Ag- was Agabus. Agabus. Uh, but he, the prophet tells of a famine that's on its way. And so the disciples gather together, uh, you know, money and other things that can help in, in a famine. Okay. So notice there will be false messiahs, false Christ. There will be military conflicts. And there will be uh, many famines and earthquakes. He says in verse 8, all these are but the beginning, uh, just like birth pains. Verse 9, he says, um, there's going to be persecution upon Christians. Verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. We see that in the book of Acts. With Peter and John, Acts 5, 40 to 42, they're beaten. Okay? Paul is treated... Roughly, Peter is thrown into prison. James is killed by the sword, Acts chapter 12. So, of course, uh, Jesus himself said this in other places as well. So, the Christians would be persecuted. Verse 10 says, many will fall away. Many will fall away. Many will stumble. Some some translations have the word stumble here. In other words, some Christians will not not stay strong. They're going to fall away. He's just telling them, some things that will happen in these 40 years. So, uh, verse 13, he says, Again, there will be many false prophets. Not only just many people saying, I am the Messiah, but there will be a lot of false prophets, false teachings that will take place uh, during this time. All right. And then verse 12 says, uh, The love of many will grow cold. Grow cold. Uh, we, we see it among ourselves today. Sometimes we're not as spiritual as we ought to be. And that's what he's saying. He said many of the Christians will grow cold because of the sin is surrounding them. Then their spirituality will leave them. And so not everybody, but some, some will grow, grow cold toward the Lord. And then verse 14, this is the good news. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. In other words, Jesus is saying, even though all these other things are happening, still my people will spread the gospel. You remember in Acts 17, verse 6, how that the people commented that these are the men who have turned the world upside down. Yeah, because the gospel, the gospel had filled the places. They had filled the cities, filled the synagogues. Romans 1, verse 8, uh, Paul comments uh, to the Christians in Rome how they had been Sounding forth the word of the gospel in all the places in which they went. So he's, he's um, prophesying. He's indicating there will be a great gospel harvest uh, during these 14 years. So about eight different things here. Eight different things. False messiahs, 
and um, uh, military conflicts, earthquakes and, and famines, persecution upon the, upon the Christians. Um, many Christians will stumble and fall away from the faith. There will be a lot of false prophets. And uh, many will grow cold toward the Lord. But also on top of all that, there will be many who will spread the gospel. All right, read that for us. Mark's mentioning Colossians 1.23 in reference to this gospel harvest that will be taking place. Go ahead, Mark. Could you continue in the faith grounded and settled if they not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, made a minister? Okay, Paul's saying Colossians 1.23, hold to the gospel which has been preached to every creature uh, in the world. So that's, that's one thing that was going to happen as well. We can rejoice in that. And so you can see here Jesus giving them some telltale signs that they can be looking for as they live out the Christian life. They weren't to, they weren't to stop. Okay? He just wanted them to know. And think about this. In fact, let's go ahead and think about some lessons from, just from what we've discussed so far. Think about how compassionate the Lord is. Think about how unselfish he is. He is, he is just hours from the cross. Okay, Judas has already started his, his plot. You know, we're, we're here in Matthew 24. Jesus is going to continue this same sermon on into Matthew 25. And then Matthew 26 is where Jesus is arrested uh, in the garden. So he's just hours from the cross, but he's not thinking about himself. He's trying to help his disciples about something coming down the road. Okay. And this is so characteristic. Of Jesus, even on the cross, he was thinking about other people. But this is something for us to consider as we move about in life as well. Okay. And think about those early Christians, those early disciples. Even though all this is taking place around them, all these telltale signs, they did not stop doing what they were to do for the Lord. Okay. All this military conflict. Wars and famines, earthquakes and persecution, everything. And fellow Christians falling away, fellow Christians betraying each other. But yet, we, we read much about it in the book of Acts. They just did not stop. They just didn't stop. So that's a great, great uh, lesson as well. Okay. And think about this. That they were doing this work in the midst of a... Of a blizzard of lies. Just a, there were false people everywhere, just as they are today. Maybe more in that day, I don't know. But there were people saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm actually Christ. And then there on top of that, there were other false prophets. Just as in our day, where there's a blizzard of lies about the Bible, a blizzard of lies about Christ, a lot of misunderstanding about the church and about heaven and about life in general. Um, they had that too, and yet they did not. They didn't stop. It just it just drove them to do more, and then more. Okay. Think about how important. Notice Jesus' statement in Matthew twenty-four, verse thirteen: "The one who endures to the end will be saved." Think about how important it is. 
to be tough in our faith, no matter what is around us, no matter what happens, to let tribulation help us grow. A good reference on that is Romans 5, verse 3. In fact, it's so good, I just, I just want to read it. Romans 5, verse 3. But um, Jesus is saying, learn to take the trials of life and grow from them. Romans 5, 3. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given unto us. That's the ideal Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, endure. Endure all this. Get ready for it. Endure it. Keep doing the will of God. And you will be rewarded for it. And then, of course, the big lesson here at the end of the chapter is uh, to be ready for the final day. So, for the early Christians, they had to get ready for this this destruction that was coming upon their homeland. Be ready to flee. Make preparations now. And they could do that. There's, there were a whole brotherhood of Christians that was going to be out there not living in the Jerusalem, Judea area. And they could make preparations to go stay with them, whatever they had to do. Uh, they had to get ready for that, but also always be ready for the last day as well. Let's think for a moment about that last day. Just things we know about the last day. What do we know about that last day? What do we know about that last day? Oh, it's, yeah, it'll be done fast. Aaron said it'll be done fast. That's right. Won't be drug out over several days. It's going to be fast. Fast. What else do you know? He's coming in the air after the prophet. Right. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. We'll be meeting Jesus in the air. Jesus will never step foot on this earth again. Okay. Uh, he's not, his earthly mission is done. But we will meet him in the air. Okay. And while you're there at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, it will be a very um, noisy day. The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. So it will be a, a noisy day. It's going to be fast. It's going to be in the air. It's going to be noisy. It's also going to be visible. There's not going to be any secrecy about this last day. Okay. No, no secret raptures. Uh, Acts 1 verse 11, as Jesus goes from the earth up into the sky be on the right hand of God in the presence of his disciples. The angels sitting there with the disciples said, He will so come as you have seen him leave. His second coming will be visible. It will be just as visible as the first coming. It's just it won't be on earth. It will be visible. On that day, there will be a resurrection of the just and unjust, the righteous and unrighteous. That's Paul's quote from Acts 24, verse 15. Or Jesus' words in John 5, 28 and 29, when he said, Marvel not at this, the hour is coming, and now is, when all that are in the tomb shall hear my voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation. And so on that day, 
there will be a resurrection, and then there will be judgment. Okay. And then we read from 1 Corinthians 15, on that day, there will be a change of bodies. If you are alive on earth, when Jesus comes again, then the body you have now will be changed into a spiritual body. If you've already passed on, then that body that is buried in the ground or wherever will be resurrected, but it'll be changed into a spiritual body. And then your spirit will combine with your new spiritual body, qualifies you to go to the air, to go to eternity, where time is no more. Okay. What are we forgetting about that second coming? Since the dead in Christ will rise first. Right. Thessalonians, Yes, First Thessalonians four uh, says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay. But that is not intended to be understood as some kind of long period, like on Monday the dead in Christ rise and on Friday the others rise. It's all going to be. Uh, fast. In fact, somebody find that verse in 1 Corinthians 15 that says it's going to be fast. Because it's not jumping into my head. It's going to be fast. So, But the problem in, Thessal- in Thessalonica was they were worried about their loved ones who had passed on. And they had it in their, in their mind that Jesus was coming very soon. Some of them had even stopped going to their jobs. They just thought Jesus was coming really soon. And Paul had to point out that we don't know when he's coming you don't need to stop work. Okay. And as far as your loved ones are concerned, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay. But other passages show us that the dead, the just and the unjust, Acts 24, 15, John 5, 28, 29, both will be raised at the same time. Okay. Paul's just dealing with the righteous people there in 1 Thessalonians 4. So that's a, that's a good point. Uh, John six fifty four calls this the last day. The, the judgment day will be the last day. Okay. John twelve forty eight. Didn't Jesus say the words that I have spoken to you, the same will judge you in the last day. It will be the last day. Yes. Second Peter three verse ten says that on that day, on that day, all the earth, all the universe will melt with fervent heat. There will be no earth um, after Jesus comes, that meeting near. So all this is simultaneous. All happen on this occasion. And it's going to be great. Going to be great. Okay. So those are facts you know. See, we were just able to name those off pretty fast ourselves. So when there are passages like Matthew 24, that has a little bit of a difficulty to them at first glance. You always take the passages that you know that are straightforward, and you take those, that what you know, and then you go into and read the difficult passages. And before long, there'll be some meanings that will come out that are correct. So, notice here in Matthew 24 then, starting in verse 36, Jesus does start talking about this final day. And the other uh, accounts, Mark and Luke especially, do mention the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, For me, it's easier to study this destruction of Jerusalem out of Matthew 24, but Mark 13 uh, deals with it, and also Luke 
uh, 21, I believe it is, deals with it as well. But here in Matthew uh, 24, beginning in verse 36, Jesus said, Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were getting married and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. In other words, life continued as normal until the very day Noah entered into the ark. So just like that, when Jesus comes again, life will be conducted as normal. Whatever we are experiencing now, whatever we have experienced in the past, whatever comes in the future, by and by, nothing new under the sun, so that will be taking place as well. So he compares that. They were unaware, verse 39 Matthew 24, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Okay. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming... He would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. See, that's our final lesson. We must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, it will be sudden when Jesus says, uh, some will be grinding at the mill, others will be in the field. He's just simply saying there, his coming will be sudden, it will be unexpected, and it will cause a separation. We, don't, we really can't get our arms around how fast all this is going to take place. Okay. Did anybody find that passage in 1 Corinthians 15? What, what verse is that? Look it up again. Month, do what? 51. In the moment... Alright, first Corinthians fifteen, fifty one and fifty two. Okay, at the last trumpet, in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Okay, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Okay. I saw that one time uh, as a quotation on the door of a nursery at the church building. Okay. Just as kind of an offside joke somebody was doing, but um, you know. When you're dealing with little toddlers, um, you got to be staying. You got to be staying alert. So they had put on there, "We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed." Okay. If you've ever kept thirteen, fourteen, one-year-olds, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, that's a life-changing experience. Okay, I don't know how ladies do that. Okay, but what Paul's teaching there is, when Jesus comes, there will be some who will be having, who will already be in the sleep of death. Death is sometimes referred to as asleep. But there will be some that will be alive on earth, obviously. Okay, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Um, it's talking about the change of our bodies. Whether we are here alive when Jesus comes again, or whether we've already passed on, we will all undergo a change. So, um, I think this is an opportunity. Uh, it may be a lot of our religious neighbors... Uh, have been taught this complicated, unnecessary, 
um, four stage, two stage coming of the Lord. And this is pretty much laid out by Jesus here uh, in a way that where it's very difficult to, un to misunderstand it if you just put all the, uh, the verses together. And these lessons about the gospel and about endurance and about having to work your way through misinformation and about always being ready uh, are, are as valuable today as, uh, as they were then. Okay. And this is Jesus' teaching. And as you can see, right in the Matthew 25, he'll give the parable of the Wise and foolish virgins, foolish virgins, that is a parable about the last day. And then in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, he will talk about the judgment day again. And ask in that scene, you know, have you taken care of the strangers? Have you taken care of those who are poor? Because uh, based upon that, uh, we'll be judged. So... Uh, Jesus thought it very necessary before he left this earth that um, his followers know quite a bit about the final day. Appreciate very much, very much, uh, you being part of this study this evening. There's more to it than this. There's a lot of background history that you could definitely read up on uh, that would be valuable. Uh, the works of Josephus, if you've ever heard of those, uh, it, the works of Josephus mentions this very time uh, of the destruction of Jerusalem. So it give you some details of just how very tragic it was. Thank you once again.